WBNE. Hello, and welcome to episode 81, all about Return of the King, Theatrical Edition, Part 3, being the 81st part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. And today I'm joined by Allie Gordon. According to her own website, she is an actor, an improviser, a podcaster, and a rat prince. Thank you. Those are my own words (laughs) for me. I wanted to read that because I was like, rat prince? Okay. That's a great description. I think it is apt. I feel sort of a spiritual connection to rats. I like them quite a lot. But I also, you know, if it's your own website, you want to make yourself important. So you don't want to just be like, and just a rat. You want to be like, (laughs) Prince of the Rats. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's how I felt in that moment. (laughs) Love it. Love it. So tell me a little bit about how you, I guess, your your history with Lord of the Rings. How did you come to find it? Are you a movie watcher only? Have you read the books? That, That kind of thing. When I was a kid, like much younger so I think like just pre-movies like maybe like the ages of like nine or ten I read The Hobbit which I loved then I didn't see the movies in theaters (laughs) that's just a fun fact completely missed the Lord of the Rings movies when they were coming out uh watched them with people when they eventually came out on like I think I remember watching Fellowship of the Ring like when it came out on DVD with like friends at a party Mm -hmm. and I realized I was taking it a lot more seriously than anybody else was (laughs) taking it. You know those like those experiences when you're like a kid and you're like having a formative media experience but around you people are being like do you have a crush on Roger and you're like oh my god everybody shut Shut up. up. (laughs) Like I'm having a formative media experience. Shut up the ring wraiths are here. (laughs) Like this is going to be part of my my identity for the rest of my life because I'm 12 years old and this matters a lot right now. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So that was very much my experience with Lord of the Rings. Have always liked it since then. Didn't read the books until I was much older than that. I'm going to say like college. Really enjoyed the books as well. But I think because I was a movie first person, there's a. it's very hard to shake your formative childhood media Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I think like because of that, I have spent my life just trying to dovetail my own experiences with the experiences of a hobbit. And I just like really want my, I want those paths to cross for myself someday. Yeah, we all want to be hot, especially like in the age of quarantine. Everyone's like, I would love to live in a hobbit hole. Are you kidding I would me? Give, I would give anything. If somebody was like, you can live underground and have three cows, I'd be like, you just reached into my, the deepest part of my fantasies. Thank you so very much. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I think it's great. And I love it. And I also would dream about being carried up a mountain someday. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome also i so i'm trying to remember like how exactly i got connected with you on twitter but eventually like i saw you tweeting a lot of stuff about lord of the rings and i was like clearly she loves lord of the rings let me I message do. her so i'm trying to remember like do you j- so is is lord of the rings has that just been your or maybe it's always been like that for you but um i know a lot of people have kind of revisited their love of lord of the rings this in past quarantine? year yeah yes okay so sort of inadvertently because at the very start of quarantine truly the first week I am very fortunate and I live in the same building as one of my very best friends. And uh, his roommate, who is another good friend of mine, 
had never seen Lord of the Rings. And so every night after we were done, like, disinfecting all of our groceries, yeah. we'd meet and we'd, like, watch the movies. And they were very long. And so it took us, like, at least a week to get through all three, I think, because we were, like, watching them in chunks. And that was lovely. And then it's sort of been on the brain since then ex- for the, exactly the reasons you said of just being, like, I live in a very small New York City apartment. I dream of looking out my window at a big rolling green bucolic hill or trading bread with neighbors, all things I have not been doing during quarantine, <laughs> obviously. Um, and then fast forward like six months and we're still in quarantine. My friend who lives downstairs, his boyfriend came back from where he was quarantining and was now quarantining with us. And he said, I'd never seen Lord of the Rings. And so we watched him again. Awesome. So I have now watched <laughs> all of the movies uh, with a, with a person who's been watching for the first time two different times during quarantine. Oh, that's fun. It is very fun. It, it's like one of those things where I love it privately and I think I my intensity for my love of it grows the more I am sharing it with another person. Just like hearing their experiences and like what like they like and what resonates with them and the characters they like. I think that has been like what turned the gas up on my mm-hmm. need for it to be part of my brain at all times yeah. <laughs> during this quarantine. Yeah, honestly, that's that's been like one of my favorite parts of doing this podcast is not necessarily like Lord of the Rings, but it's the fact that like I get to talk to different people each week and I get to hear them be so excited about, you know, whatever chapter we're talking about or a character or a moment in the movie. And it's just really fun to connect with other people. Imagine that people in a year of like (laughs) quarantine, like connection, (laughs) human connection is like all we have at this point. And so it's been really nice to get to share in other people's excitement. And that's been the thing that's been more fun for me to experience than the actual series, I guess. For sure. And that just like, I I also really like There's something about, like, the archetypal kind of characters of The Lord of the Rings that I think is fun for when people are watching it and you get to see the characters they immediately gravitate towards. Or, like, are, are like, yeah, if I was in that situation, that's how I'd act, too. And I'm like, oh, that's fun. Seeing your, like, Jungian, like, response to these characters. Like, that's the one I'm imprinting on, and I think that that's true. Mm -hmm. I don't know, I was watching it with, when we were watching it this time recently, the person who was watching it for the first time was like, I really admire how... Sam is like keeping it cool around Gollum and I was like I don't I would have killed him oh my gosh <laughs> I, was like, I was like I I don't I don't I mean like sure good for him uh I'm sure he's a better person than I am but I cannot relate like no, yeah I can't relate I am really I really struggled reading the books because Sam Sam is a lot more docile in the books and he's yes. a lot like calmer and softer <sighs> I couldn't do it basically reading the books because there are a lot of ways like ways that I was like Sam just like just do something just get up and and do whatever and he just he wouldn't and yeah I just have never been able to relate to Sam because his actions are not the actions of a rat prince and so like (laughs) I can love him but I don't understand him love it yeah this week we are sort of kind of in the middle of Return of the King we're getting into the territory of Return of the King where a normal movie would begin wrapping up (laughs) yeah this would normally be like the two-thirds mark. We're yeah. like coming out of act two. Surprise. We haven't even gotten to Mordor yet. This would be the the lead up to the finale in a normal movie. But this is only part three of who knows how many parts I will end up doing in the end. 
Theoden, Aragorn, and a bunch of the 50 other characters in this movie arrive at the Rohan encampment where people yell out numbers to Theoden instead of discussing these important details during a meeting. Despite their best efforts, it's looking like they're not going to have enough soldiers to defeat Sauron's army, not unless a magical army appears out of nowhere at the last minute. A1 helps Mary prepare for battle and then yells at Aramur for making fun of Mary because Mary has the same rights as everyone else to fight for the people he loves. And if Mary is capable, then Mary should be allowed to go to battle because maybe Mary wants to die in a blaze of glory because the society has made it impossible for women, I mean hobbits, to gain any sense of honor. Aragorn dreams of a dying Arwen, just in case you forgot about her, which I kind of keep doing, but whatever. Elrond arrives to help Aragorn complete his character arc, but mostly because he's suddenly very invested in this war against evil now that his daughter might die. He dramatically presents the now reforged Andriel to Aragorn, who is finally ready to accept his role as the King of Gondor. His first act, awaken a cursed army of ghosts. When Eowyn tries to convince Aragorn to stay, he realizes that he might have been sending her the wrong messages, what with all their longing glances and flirtatious laughter. He lets Eowyn down so brutally, he might as well have dropped her into the fires of Mount Doom. Aragorn continues being a dumb boy and thinks that he can go off on this side quest by himself, but of course, Gimli and Legolas come along. Theoden orders Eowyn to stay behind in the event that the battle goes south so that she can rule Edoras, but it's not like there's going to be much to rule if they lose, so forgive her for not being excited about this plan. Theoden is unnecessarily mean to Mary when he tells him to stay behind because he would burden the other riders. When the Rohirrim take off, a soldier suddenly swoops Mary onto their horse. Who is this? Durnhelm, perhaps? A mysterious rider who hides their identity until it is revealed in a perfect dramatic moment on the battlefield? Nope, it's just Eowyn. The army of the dead is an ominous tale, so naturally Legolas is the one to fill us in. Isildur cursed an army never to rest when they fled from battle. Only Isildur's heir can awaken them, so it's a good thing Elrond decided to start caring when he did and showed up with Andriel. Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn are confronted by spooky, scary skeletons who laugh in their faces until Aragorn pulls out Andriel and poses with it very sexily. And I guess we'll have to wait till next week to find out what happens. Back in Minas Tirith, Faramir is dead. Hold on a second. My boy! Wait, he's alive? That's great! Zenithor will be so relieved. What's that? He starts going insane, ignores Pippin saying that Faramir is alive, and is distraught to find out that his only remaining son is dead, the son who he sent off on this mission, the son who he told he wished had died instead of his favorite son, the son who he told before going off to battle that he didn't care if he came back alive, that son? Yeah, I guess that checks out. Despite not wanting to call for help in the first place, Denethor believes that Rohan has abandoned them and screams for everyone to flee for their lives. Luckily, Gandalf is there to knock some sense into him, literally, and the siege of Gondor begins. In Mordor, Gollum leads Frodo to a cave that looks super safe, aside from the impenetrable darkness, spider webs, and bones of various creatures everywhere. They get separated and Frodo is all by himself, and now he comes to the realization that maybe he shouldn't have told Sam to go home. Meanwhile, Sam is sobbing and running down the stairs when he stumbles upon the lame bus bread that Gollum had thrown out. Renewed with either hatred for Gollum or love for Frodo, he turns around to go help his buddy. He's a little late though because a giant <laughs> spider appears from the shadows to eat him. Frodo uses the light of Elendil, Galadriel's gift to him towards Sheila off and escape her lair. At long last, Frodo realizes that Gollum had been planning to get Frodo killed and steal the ring all this time. After he declares that the ring must be destroyed for the sake of both of them, the two have a fight that ends with Gollum getting yeeted over a cliff. A Galadriel ex machina appears to give Frodo a bit of hope and he continues on his way. So actually, first is this very random shot. So we cut away. We had Pippin scene and he was singing and Faramir's riding off to battle. We have Gandalf sitting alone in the courtyard. And then there's this one shot of orcs pushing the tower things. And I guess they're headed from Osgiliath. I don't. It's very random. And then it cuts immediately to everyone arriving at the Rohan camp. And yes. it's this like really random scene has thrown me off and I'm like kind of fixated on it because I'm like, is this Mordor? Is this Osgiliath? Because we literally just saw them charging at Osgiliath. Like, where are these people coming from? Maybe they're picking up from Osgiliath. Because I guess I it kind of makes sense because like later they're outside the walls taunting them. So maybe they're, maybe, I don't know. They're like approaching 
from what we see later on, we know that this is the army that is approaching Minas Tirith. But it just really caught me off because I was like, I, I feel like that was supposed to be deleted and it accidentally didn't get deleted. <laughs> Phenomenal. In a movie that is so long already, let's keep forgetting to delete some things. But yeah, I truly <laughs> anyway. wrote down in my notes, we start with some orcs. And that was all I was able to write because we cut away from the orcs immediately. Yeah, I was just that's like, it. that's just very random. Whatever. Um, so yeah, we have, uh, what are all their names? We have Theoden and Aragorn and all that crew are rolling up to camp. And as they're riding in, they're they're like, King Theoden, we have 500 people. We have 600 people. And I'm like, how about we wait and we have like an official meeting? And we see how many people are there. And then we can, you know, rather than just like shouting out as he's passing by, like that seems like kind of important things to maybe wait until we're all sitting down at a at a table with like maps and you know there's always like that scene in a war movie where they have maps and they have like little figurines and, and I stuff. will say Lord of the Rings is very free of those scenes because they have become in my mind so entwined with like a movie that has like wars and battles like there's got to be that scene where they all sit down and they're like you'll come from here and I'll do this and la 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 and it does seem like in Lord of the, Lord of the Rings there's a lot of just like oh good Gandalf's here and he said he'd be here and here he comes and now we win. This is fantastic. Like, I yeah. <laughs> I do kind of love that, especially because like battle scenes are never my favorite, uh, which seems like a weird thing to say for a person who loves Lord of the Rings. I can admit that these are excellent because they hold my attention, but like I will never be one of those people who's like, oh my God, that was amazing. Like they were slashing, they were killing, they were punching. Yeah, Not same. for me. Ditto to like, I play D&D and I will do combat because it's like part of it, but I just... I have no interest in, like, planning and doing combat. It just doesn't appeal to my brain. Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of am – I would be one of the people in Rohan who was like, oh, two more showed up. King Theoden, two more showed up. Is that important information? (laughs) We got got two more people. (laughs) I'll keep yelling as I see them. I like that one thing I have never really truly understood in all of my years of enjoying Lord of the Rings is what the Westfold truly is. It has become deeply mimetic and, like, I know who cares about it, but I – could not tell you what it actually i don't know what it is yeah do you do you know from reading the books more more recently no no i have no idea what the westfold is couldn't tell you so uh so here's the thing you brought this up in our messages about like the geography of minas tirith but also just like in general the geography of everything is very confusing because all these people are like yeah one of them is like we have five 500 from westfold and we have 600 from shrink eating land i don't know where they're from. right and i'm like so are these i'm assuming there are other i guess there are other cities i don't know where they are where were these people during helm's deep true you know and also not to be king Theoden about it but what but where were they when the, when the westfold, westfold fell, fell. <laughs> the westfold so, i don't know was in westfold and they were doing and the they falling. were falling but yeah. what about the people around <laughs> i mean it, it is the incredible scene with the lighting of the torches that's in the movie earlier i mean it's an amazing scene but those are the people that we don't know their names like when you're like so who are shrinky dink i'm like i don't know those are the guys who live on that mountain who light the torch and go yeah their only job their only like reason for existing on that mountain in the remote beautiful landscape of of new zealand is to watch in the distance and light a torch on fire so i assume that that's where those people are coming from they are one of the many torch lit citadels Cities, yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> um, along the countryside yeah uh, we just have decided they're not important enough for, for our, us to care us about to go into yeah aragorn says this he's like this is not enough people for us to take down sauron's forces but we have to go in the morning anyway theoden shockingly 
listens to Aragorn and is like, yeah, we'll leave in the morning. And I was like, wow, look at that. Finally, after like- They're getting along. <laughs> two two hours, I don't know, from when Theoden shows up in Two Towers to this moment now. Finally, Theoden's like, yeah, that sounds like good advice. Thank you, Aragorn. We will do that. <laughs> they All of the horses start freaking out and there's this very creepy uh crevasse yeah yeah <laughs> i wrote the unbearably creepy crevasse which has such a good ring to it i did not think about that when i was writing it but i, I do that, love yes. that and then we get that like push in shot that peter jackson loves he does love them mm-hmm. he uses it at least once a movie they do it again later when they go back to the crevasse it's um it's like a hitchcock i think a mm-hmm. technique where you like you're zooming in but pulling out at the same time. It's very spooky. It works every time. Yeah, yeah. And it's very convenient that they just happen to camp out literally right next to the paths of the dead, which in the book is like a totally separate thing that they have to go off on their own right. adventure. I mean, they do that here too. But And that is one thing that like I don't think really makes sense because they're like there, but then everybody's like, are you kidding me? You're leaving? And he's like, oh, I'm going like behind us. And they're yeah, like, Aragorn's leaving. We're but all going like, to die. Yeah, but he's like there already. He's like, like, I understand that. Like, if he was like, I've got to ride like many miles out of here. You're not going to see me. I really hope to be back in time that people would be like, dude, like bad timing. But the fact that he's like, I'm going to our backyard is weird that they're all freaking out so much about it. And yeah, and everyone's like, men go in there and they don't come out. And, you know, there's a lot of foreboding surrounding this. Yeah, but anyway, let's make some soup and eat out here. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I just don't, yeah, I don't get it. They also like happen to be putting a bunch of the horses. It's like right next to it. I'm like, why don't you take the horses somewhere else? Yeah. Let's go somewhere else. Let's let not have them freak out. (laughs) I like that the horses are smart. That feels good. Mm -hmm. We have a scene of Mary and Eowyn bonding, and I love it. Eowyn is helping Mary to, like, fit into his armor. She sends him off to get his sword sharpened. Eomer is sitting outside with, I don't know, some other dude, and they're, like kind of making fun of Mary and Awen's like, why shouldn't he fight? You know, what? why can't he fight for the people he loves? And it's the kind of thing of like, we're not really talking about Mary, are exactly. we, Exactly. I love that. I love that scene so much. I was very excited as it was coming up. I was like, oh, I get to talk about this scene because it's so good. I know that your opinion, which I think is largely correct, is that the extended editions are not yes. inherently better than the theatrical editions. The one thing that I really miss, that I really do think takes away like a lovely parallel is that we don't get earlier the scene of Faramir gifting his clothes to Pippin. I love that scene. It makes me tear up every single time. And the fact that we have here the like parallel of these two humans who have like chosen to see them not as like wayward children but as like worthy beings who like who have a stake in this fight and are like intelligent young men so to speak i love that there's like two different scenes of them like preparing them for battle and getting them dressed in their own like cultures like historic armor and stuff so i do really really miss that scene in comparison to the Eowyn and Mary scene. I get that. I get that. Yeah, when it comes time for me to watch extended edition, I'm sure I will be like, I have like a running theme of like, for Two Towers extended, I was like, anything with the ints, I love. Yeah. I love all the int stuff. So anything that has an extra scene with Faramir, I'm I'm sure I will. Yes. And that one is just like so <sighs> exceptional. It's well it's so well written. It's super short, so I'm really sad that it's cut. And I also think it just like it makes the payoff of this scene I think mm-hmm. even even better cuz it 
you know, the movies don't do a phenomenal job, I think, of making you think Eowyn and Faramir are like this great match for each other because they literally oh, never talk. I was going to say, um, what's, what's <laughs> so funny is that theatrical edition, that just doesn't happen at all. At you all. see them standing next to each other at Aragorn's coronation and that's right. it. <laughs> and like even in the extended, it's better, but not great. But I do think that this scene actually helps you realize that they are unusual in terms of their perspective on the hobbits and that you're supposed to like love them and trust them because as a person who obviously falls in love with the hobbits first you're introduced to them first as an audience yeah and you love them you're like oh faramir sees pippin as like a, an upstanding man who's like gonna go out and fight and then like same thing with with aon and so you're like oh damn they are like they are actually meant meant for each other also to be fair though it's the way they get together in the book is also not great so yeah, it's I, not just, great. <laughs> I don't i don't think it could have been good any way you spin it you know so just when i forgot about all of my anger at the elf subplots in comes arwen and elrond <sighs> and I, every time every time an elf shows up, I get mad again, like, because of how <laughs> nonsensical their part of the story is. It it, it annoys me to, to know it. So, okay, so Aragorn is having a bad dream, and Arwen is very dramatically Dying. lounging, uh, like, on a, like, Victorian England, like, <laughs> fainting chair, whatever, in a beautiful gown, I should add. They try to make her look kind of sickly and pale. They don't succeed. I was going to say I could kind of notice this time watching back that she is pale. But like all of the elves are pale. Are pale. And also it's like Liv Tyler and she's like a just very gorgeous woman. I think they would have had to have her like covered in puke for you to be like, oh, is she okay? Oh, she's dying. Yeah. And I believe this is, I don't know. So there's a there's trivia that um, Liv Tyler got to take from the set what she calls, quote, Arwen's dying dress. So I guess that is referring to this dress, which is very, it's a very extravagant dress. So that is, I guess that is cool that you get to take it. But yeah, Arwen's dying dramatically. I could care less. Actually, no, I couldn't care. Sorry, that's the proper phrasing I couldn't care less about it. See, I'm I'm sort of glad that you're saying that because I don't care about elves. And sometimes I can't tell what parts of these movies don't speak to me just because of like my own media consumption biases Mm -hmm. where I'm just like, I love these scrappy little guys. I'm a scrappy little guy. And then it gets to the elves and I'm like, boo, don't understand you. (laughs) Because like, I would not want to live like an elf. I would not want to be an elf. Their their lifestyle does not appeal to me. They kind of strike me as people who like tell you that they care a lot about their health are like, no, my body's a temple, but they still do coke at parties. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Oh, that's so good. You're like, um, I thought your body was a temple, Arwen, but okay. See, I actually really like the elves. I don't like I don't know exactly how to describe. I appreciate how like ethereal and mystical they are and how they just show up and they always look like Scandinavian models <laughs> and they're always they kind of just make me laugh a bit because they're just so aesthetically pleasing, I guess. Like everything about them, they they all make sure when they're 
like leaving for the undying lands they make sure that everyone is color coordinating and that is kind of fierce you know they're They're like we have to be seen looking good when we arrive at the harbor Mm -hmm. yeah that's funny so like i i like the elves what i don't like is just that these plot lines that they do with art and it all it just it has to do with like this poor character construction for arwen that they again like to their very little credit, they were like, we got to get more women in this movie somehow. So they gave Arwen more of a part in this movie because she's does she barely has a part in the books. Um, yeah, but even then they gave her a part where she's largely laying down and dying. Exactly. So that's my problem is she becomes very much the damsel in distress. And as we all know, there's only one damsel in distress this movie and it's Frodo. So stop stepping <laughs> on his turf. Yeah, it's Frodo's turn. <laughs> okay, let, let him have this. We don't need to. And what annoys me is it makes no sense why she is dying from not going to the undying lands but Elrond is fine and Legolas is fine and Galadriel is fine but Arwen Arwen is the one who is just suddenly dying for no reason at all other than to advance the plot yeah I mean so my understanding or the way that my brain wrote this off as making sense it doesn't. But the way that my brain made it made sense was that, like, the understanding was that Galadriel or Elrond was going to go to the die- Undying Lands, but that she had, like, forsaken it, and so therefore she was dying. And the more I say it, the more I do- it doesn't make sense to me, but that is what my brain, <laughs> like, justified. I don't get it. So El- Aragorn is called into Theoden's tent, and the first, so the first time watching this, so there's this person sitting in the corner with a hood up, and I was like, oh, it's Arwen. She came to give him the sword, which I think would have been way cooler. Just get rid of Very this. cool. Get rid of this idea of like Arwen's dying and you have to save Middle Earth in order to save Arwen. Get rid of that and just have her be like, no, I am going to reforge the sword and I'm going to take it to my boyfriend and he's going to take his place as the king and then we're going to fight together or whatever. Yeah, that would have been very cool. Would have been great. Anyway, so first time watching this, I was like, oh, Arwen came. That's cool. And then (laughs) Elrond stands up and like takes the hood off. And it's very, let me tell you, it's very jarring when you're expecting to see Liv Tyler. (laughs) (laughs) To see anything other than Liv Tyler. So Elrond reveals to Aragorn that Arwen is dying. He says her life is now tied to the fate of the ring. And I'm like, isn't everyone's lives now tied to the fate of the ring? Like, very true. That's the same. Like, not to, like, Arwen isn't special, Elrond. I hate to burst your bubble there. I know you love her, but everyone's lives is tied to the fate yeah, of the ring. Yeah, we, we all, it's either we all live or we all die. Yeah. He... Very, oh, it's very cool. So he's like, we're going to need some backup to to take down Sauron. I think you know what you need to do. And he's like, I can't go awaken this army of the dead because they won't listen to me. And Elrond's like, they'll listen to you because you have this. And he pulls out very, like, I have been making a lot of fun of, of Elrond, but this is a very cool scene. Yes, that swell of music underneath it is iconic and I'm, I'm gonna try and not use that word too much because I want to like keep its power but that is an iconic shot of the movie is like swoof the big sword comes out the mm-hmm. music swells I did write that it was in quotes very metal Shire <laughs> <laughs> and it is that moment that moment 
woman is like a hardcore. That's that really it's rocks. It's very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I, maybe I take it back about elves not doing cool stuff. That was pretty cool. <laughs> However, I will say that does go into like how I see the elves, which is like they're very dramatic people and they know how to be dramatic. And so Elrond's like, I'm going to whoosh. I'm about to blow this guy's mind. <laughs> yeah. And he does. Mm-hmm. He takes out Andriel, uh, which was forged from the uh, shards of Narsil. And this is the sword that the king of Gondor will use to awaken the army of the dead. Elrond tells Aragorn to put aside the ranger, that it's time for him to be the king of Gondor. Elrond says to Aragorn, I give hope to men. And Aragorn says, I keep none for myself. These two lines came from Appendix A, and they were the final words of Aragorn's mother. Um, And Estelle, which is the elvish word for hope, was also the name given to Aragorn before his heritage was revealed to him. Huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Love that. Yeah. It's a little it's a little on the nose for me, I have to say. Like Elrond looking at baby Aragorn orphaned being like, "Hmm, you will be the ki- the new king of Gondor. I'm going to call you Hope." No. Yeah. No, Estelle. It would be fun if Aragorn's name was Hope. And then like one more note about this this scene and like this plot line of Arwen is dying and Aragorn has to like be the king to save her. It also just makes me feel really icky that what moves Elrond to action is him being like my daughter's dying. It's like a very selfish move, it feels to me, of like, I've started caring about this a lot more when it mattered to me personally. Yes. It feels very much like when the uh, the phrase of like, when people are like, I didn't think these politics would affect me, of just being like, I didn't mm. know the tiger, the face-eating tiger would eat my face. Yeah. That is sort of like, everyone's being like, hey, elves, the world's going to end unless we destroy the ring. And they're like, oh, that's tough. I'm going to get on a boat. Though. I'm gonna peace out of here. Y'all so, have fun. And then it was like, I didn't know that when you said everyone's gonna die, you meant people I know. Yeah. I think that that scene is cool because the reveal of that sword is so cool. Yeah. It's the but other only- than that, that's all I got. I guess I should, I also should bring up again that this is not at all how it goes down in the book. The sword is reforged in Fellowship of the Ring after the Council of Elrond. Yeah, they got that done real early. It was a very passing mention, actually, because I remember reading that chapter. The chapter beforehand, they make a very big deal about like the broken blade and blah, blah, blah. And then the next chapter, it's literally like, Aragorn's sword was fixed. Yes. (laughs) And then they left Rivendell and went on this quest. The most surprising thing about the Lord of the Ring books consistently is what J.R. J.R. I can't talk. <laughs> J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> there we go. Uh, decides is not important enough to write about. Yeah. Uh-huh. I I'm, I was consistently blown away that he'd be like, and it was the biggest battle of their lives. On the other side of it, many had died, but Aragorn was fine. I was like, holy moly, are you kidding? Yeah. We just skipped? But yeah, stuff like that of them just being like, it's the most important sword known to man. And then it was fixed. It's like, oh, wow, that was fast. And then they'll be like, the stones that made up the pathway were once forged from a rock that was said to be as old as time. You're like, dang, okay, let's get an an hour on these stones. Yeah, Tolkien was a, he definitely had a lot of like interesting side hobbies that he would fixate on when writing the books. I love it. He wrote like an action adventure story to make an excuse to write about some trees. (laughs) So Aragorn gets ready to leave and go to the paths of the dead. Arwen, no. 
Eowyn. <laughs> yeah. Eowyn comes over and is like, what are you doing? Don't desert us. She's like, the men need you here. It's like, we're not really talking about the men, are we? Eowyn? Yeah. That's her favorite move. <laughs> yeah. She's always She's like, like, don't you see that the men love you and have been crazy about you for like a really long time? It's me. It's me. <laughs> I am the men. And Aragorn is like, why Why are you here? Why did you come here? Eowyn kind of gives him this look of like, seriously? Have Like, have you seen yourself? Have you met yourself? Like, <laughs> I'm in love with you. How do you not, how have you not made that connection yet? And Aragorn is just, he turns into, I don't like this scene just because like, uh, it hurts Eowyn and I love Eowyn and I will always want justice for Eowyn. She deserved better. And we have this scene of Aragorn being like, uh, you don't love me and you can't come with me. Bye. Yes. I will say one of the faults of the scripts in the movie, which is like baked into the faults of the script of the whole story. So it's like not really anybody's fault is that like men do a lot of telling women what they're thinking. Yeah. There's just a lot of scenes of them being of yeah. like Elrond telling Arwen, no, what you're actually thinking is this. And like in this scene, it's like Aragorn being like, no, no, you don't know. You can't possibly be in love with me. You have no idea what you're thinking. And it's like, I think they can think for mm. themselves. But that's what happens when you have a franchise with literally three female characters in mm. it. You know, I can't be like, yeah. And that's definitely Blank's fault because the fault is inescapable. It's like. We can't pin all our hopes and dreams on two women characters. I know. One of whom is dying in this movie. So it's like, okay. There's four female characters. One is a giant spider. Yes. One is a beautiful elf who we barely see ever. <laughs> one is a dying elf. And the other one is a horse girl. <laughs> which is the gam which is really it runs the gamut of all types of women. Yeah. <laughs> there are four types of women. Spiders, Spider. <laughs> cool elves, dying elves, and horse and girls. And horse girl. Tag yourself. Um but yeah, that is basically it. So anyway, oh, as that. well, I think that this scene is like insanely well acted. I think they have like great chemistry and this scene works and is like fun to watch because they're both just great yeah. actors mm -hmm. but yeah as i was watching it i was like that's not fair she has a brain in her head i think she knows what she's thinking yeah mm -hmm. uh but then he rides away and she's yeah. like okay bye and her beautiful dress with her long sleeves i will i will say though however like to aragorn's defense and kind of you know to the fault of eowyn she like she manic pixie girl no manic manic what what manic dream <laughs> girl JRR manic <laughs> pixie dream girl that's it she manic yes. pixie dream girled aragorn yes because he says like he's like you're the thing you're in love with is a shadow and a memory or something. I don't remember exactly what the line is, but he, he basically says like, you don't actually love me. You love the idea of me, at least to, you know, to, to the credit of Aragorn and to pointing, pointing out this fault and this flaw in Eowyn that she's just like, I fell in love with the first man who treated me decently right. because the like, bar well, is so You're low. comparing me to Grima Wormtongue. So thank you for liking me more than him. But also, you don't know me. Mm -hmm. He's about to ride off by himself. And Gimli's like, so where are we going? And Aragorn, he's like, you're not coming with me, but thanks. And Legolas <laughs> is like, have you not learned about the stubbornness of dwarves yet? And I'm like, Aragorn, did you really think for one second that your two buds were going to let you go do this by yourself? Yeah, your buds. They're your buds. Yeah, we talked about how, yeah, they go off and all of the men in the camp watching are like, well, if they're leaving... I'm leaving because we're going to die. And Theoden's like, yeah, probably. 
Okay. All right. Good night. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you can't really say it any better than that. One of the things we talked about a lot when we were watching these movies, again, with two people who had never seen it before, is like the movies do a good job of like humanizing people on the eve of battle and like showing how terrified people are and how uncertain it is. But like we just kept being like, can you imagine if somebody was like, you will probably die. And then you like just got on a horse and went. It's like, no way. (laughs) But yeah, I think it is funny that the people of Rohan are like really very much behind Theoden after he just spent like, I don't know, five or six years in like like a coma making bad choices. But the minute he's back, they're like, that's the guy. I like you and I'll do anything you say. Yeah. Um, and then we have a scene with Theoden and Eowyn. And Theoden says that Eowyn will rule in his stead if he dies and she will take his place in the Golden Hall if the battle goes ill. And Eowyn has her arms crossed and she's grumpy about this. And I can't say I blame her because like this idea of like, oh, well, if the battle fails, you take my place as ruler. And it's like, what does that matter? Because if the battle fails, we're going to die. There's not going to be an Edoras to rule. Correct. Like he literally just moments ago was like, we probably will die. And who knows what will happen, but we're going to go. And then he's like, but anyway, take my place. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really make sense. It is a nice moment between two exceptionally good actors and I also do like from a character perspective Theoden like acknowledges her as a person whose life has been like touched by grief in such a serious way Mm. which I actually think is very on the sides of like things that like are progressive versus not so great I actually really do like that as far as about Eowyn's character and about people like talking about Eowyn's character that they're like your life has just been unimaginably bad and like full of so much sadness like you really wouldn't it be just so nice for you to be able to have a good life and be happy and like be a person who smiles like wouldn't that be great yeah Theoden's like I want you to be happy and I want you to smile more and talk less smile more (laughs) because like out of context if somebody had like read me those like lines in the script without any context I would have been like oh great he wants her to smile smile yeah exactly but in the context of the scene and like what we actually know about her life it is kind of beautiful and Mm -hmm. I do really (laughs) I actually really like it uh I think probably if you got like those lines tattooed on your body people would be like Uh, yeah out of context it's not great but yeah he does he just wants her to be happy because she has been through so much grief meanwhile she's like I'm gonna go kill myself on a battlefield yep (laughs) (laughs) We see Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn on their journey to the Palace of the Dead. So this is something that I really wish had been part from the book, had been part of the movie. This whole idea of going to the Paths of the Dead to awaken this ghost army is a very, even in the book, it's a very random side quest. It's very random and very like deus ex machina of like, we're just gonna go wake up this cursed army and they're gonna save us all. It doesn't really serve much of a purpose. Like if they arrived at camp and they're like, great, we have enough people. It would change nothing about the plot. Exactly. It's just they needed something cool for him to do that seemed kingly i honestly think Mm -hmm. like i don't really it's been enough time that i don't truly remember how this feels reading the book but certainly when you're watching the movies you're like oh right aragorn's like the main character and like you (laughs) you kind of keep forgetting that because like you get caught up on all these other quests and also like you don't meet aragorn first you meet the hobbits first you're like okay cool got our main characters and then it's like oh but also surprise aragorn's the most important guy in the (laughs) world (laughs) Mm -hmm. so we also have to have a big part of our quest there so it's like it does kind of feel like a thing he does just so that you can be like 
I guess he does deserve to be king. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The other thing is that the way that this like plan is revealed to Aragorn in the book is he looks into the Palantir and it, oh, I just wish that we got it in the movie because what happens in the book is he, I called it emo Aragorn because <laughs> he, he literally like, he takes the Palantir and he goes off into like a room by himself and he comes out. He looks like very like darkened and distressed and he is like very angsty and serious because he's been like touched by this darkness of the Palantir. And he foresaw what was going to happen. And that's where he learns, like, I need to go awaken the army of the dead. The Palantir told me to do this. It's also like a big testament to his inner strength, I guess, that he was able to look into the Palantir and like still, you know, resist or or, or whatever and still come out on the other side. Right. Mostly Which is like a Aragorn. major theme in the book. In many mm-hmm. things, it's just like, how long can you resist these irresistible objects or these, like, this power that you're not supposed to have, but this person was able to resist it, which, again, is, like, one of those things we didn't get for Faramir, R.I.P. Uh. <laughs> I'm so sorry <laughs> to bring up a sore spot. It's okay. I never I never truly forget it. It's just always in the back of my head. I, I, I'm always thinking about it. And we, uh, we get a little bit, like, manic kind of crazed Aragorn we get a tiny bit of that in the movie but it's way more so in the book where everyone on this journey to the paths of the dead when they're like later retelling the story they're all like yeah Aragorn was crazy (laughs) (laughs) we have no idea what was going through his head he was insane I thought we were all gonna die and he was just like come on guys let's go in this cave of death I love this is fine we have an explanation from Legolas I said ominous exposition by ominous legolas very ominous because who else who else would give it so he explains to gimli there was this army that isildur cursed because they were supposed to fight for gondor and then they turned around and ran and so isildur cursed them that they should never rest until they live up to their promise and their vow they get to the entrance of the paths of the dead, the cave, whatever. We have like this like uh, like breath of air that like pushes out on them yes. and it's very creepy. The horses run away. It's all very ooky spooky. Yeah. I will say that it's like the thing Peter Jackson's the best at is like just like establishing a really spooky moment. <laughs> like yeah. that's a it's gonna like explode into some crazy action sequence. Uh, mm. and this one is very spooky. I like the air. I like the weird whispers. I like that they're green for no reason. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) You know it's serious because, yeah, the horses run away and Aragorn calls after Brago and Brago doesn't come back to him. So that's how you know. That's how you know it's serious. Spooky stuff. Aragorn. So this is kind of what I was talking about. We get a little bit of manic crazy Aragorn he goes I do not fear death and like charges in it's like okay well (laughs) good for you I wish we had seen because Gimli does hesitate I wish we had seen Legolas be more scared that's what happens in in the book they they go in and Aragorn is the only person who isn't afraid and everyone else on this mission it's like this is terrifying we're gonna die here which makes a lot more sense Mm -hmm. especially since it's like if we're supposed to believe that Aragorn is like so driven by his purpose that nothing scares him at this point yeah but I do love 
love that they just decided that Gimli's motivation in life will be spite. Yes, uh-huh, because he said, he's like, oh, who would have thought an elf would go into a cave before a dwarf? And he's like, oh, I'll never hear the end I gotta of this. Go. <laughs> They're going to make fun of me if I don't go yeah, in. Yeah, I'm not going to get humiliated by my friends, by my buds. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta go. So he goes in. I feel that. I understand that. Mm-hmm. We see Theoden's army and, and Rohan and everyone getting ready to ride off. And Theoden, for no good reason, is mean to Mary and is like, you can't come with us. I believe he says a three days gallop. And I'm like, just say ride. You know, I don't know why. <gasps> it's going to be gallop. a really fast ride. <laughs> um, None of my men can bear you. You're, he literally calls Mary a burden. Yes, my none of my riders can bear you as a burden, which makes me so sad. And then his face like just crumples and it's just so sad to watch. for no reason. It makes me very sad. Mary's like, all of my other friends are fighting. Like I am putting shame to Hobbit's names if I'm not also fighting. So yeah, Mary's sad. Oh, poor Mary. And he, watches everyone ride off and then all of a sudden he gets swooped up onto the back of a horse. I also wrote the words swooped up. Just want you to know. (laughs) (laughs) And um, it's Eowyn and she has not disguised herself. She's kind of like hidden herself. So Miranda Otto had to undergo numerous fittings for them to land on a helmet design that would disguise enough of her face To make it believable that, like, oh, she's sneaking in, but also not hide enough of her face so that the audience could tell who it was still. Because they made this decision in the movie, they did something different from the book, where in the book, she disguises herself as Dernhelm, and all of a sudden, (laughs) this soldier named Dernhelm shows up and is like, hey, Mary, you want to ride with me? And he's like, okay, person I've never met. And there are like all these things throughout the chapter of like, Dernhelm's eyes were very familiar to Mary. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and like it's all like, all these hints. Mary, are you stupid? So it's funny you say that. So the reason they decided, the filmmakers decided to not go this route of like, oh, she's going to disguise herself. And then when she takes the helmet off is when we're like, oh my God, it's Eowyn the whole time. So they decided not to do that because one, they just thought it would be difficult to like realistically disguise her in a visual medium in a way that you would be like, Oh, yeah, that's obviously Eowyn, you know, kind of like how when you watch She's the Man, (laughs) you see Amanda Bynes. You're like, well, that's Amanda Bynes. Yeah, that's clearly a girl disguising herself as as a boy is what that is. And then two, these are this is the exact quote that they said. If they had disguised her and Mary didn't recognize her, it would make it would make him look like, quote, the stupidest hobbit on Earth. Yeah, it doesn't not it does not reflect well on Mary. That just makes me laugh because I'm like. I mean, that's what happens in the book, though. He doesn't recognize her. So say what you will, but like, that's what happened. (laughs) It is what happened. I think this is a welcome, like, change from the books because, like, it's such a good moment. Also, just like that line of her being like, ride with me. And he's like, my lady. It's like, it's just like two clicks away from like a Jane Austen novel. And I love that. It's like so close. (laughs) Um, I love it. I think it's so good. I think it's so dramatic. And I also, like I said earlier, it like establishes like an important microcosm in the like huge battle sequences that are yet to come because you're like okay I obviously can't keep my eye on everything and I know obviously I want good to win over evil but like what am I supposed to care about or focus on and it's like okay we as an audience have this like little duo of Eowyn and Mary and if they're okay then I'm okay 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if it was like Marion Dernhelm <laughs> or whatever it was, I think you'd be like, oh, okay. Um, so they ride, they ride off. I have to say, though, this is one of the worst uses of green screen in the movie when Eowyn, it's these close up shots of Eowyn and Mary riding together. It didn't even look like it was green screened. It looked like they were on a, like a fake horse on a studio and then they had a scenery painted behind them and there were like two people moving that could be true the thing behind them I mean like I think that's at the very least 75% true because when they did horse stuff it really was just two actors sitting on a a, a, a dummy horse and like people like moving it and them like moving their arms like they were using reins um and I have no idea about the background it, it didn't age well I should say yeah it's funny the parts of the movies that don't hold up because yeah. so much of it does that you forget that it was made in like the year 2000 and then you're like, oh, that part was bad. I re- I remember yeah, that now. Was bad. This was the era mm-hmm. Shrek was made. Like you're yeah. like, oh, okay, these are contemporaries. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so funny to think about. Yeah, yeah. So we go back to Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli awakening the army of the dead. I wrote down spooky, scary skeletons. Just- these are these spooky, scary skeletons. <laughs> yeah. Just insert that music. <laughs> And shivers down your spine. This army of the dead awakens. Yeah, like you mentioned, they're green. Sm- they almost look like like Scooby Doo villains. Yes, a little bit, you know. And then they have like that cool, like sometimes their faces look human, and sometimes their faces look totally skeletal thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, ultimately they are Scooby-Doo villains. And it's also interesting because this, yeah, so this was also the same year that Pirates of the Caribbean Curse of the Black Pearl came out. Whoa, what a weird coincidence. So first of all, great year for Orlando Orlando Bloom. Bloom. Um, No wonder his star (laughs) exploded onto the scene in such a major way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This was the same year as Curse of the Black Pearl. So it's interesting that they had to, and and also something that happens later on too, the visual effects team for this movie was like really they had to like really work hard to make sure that they were keeping up with the effects of other movies at the time but also like doing it differently enough that it was very much like oh this is return of the king this is lord of the rings yes. this is not just them copying and pasting barbosa's army right from and curse of the black they Pearl. really are very visually different i think that they did mm-hmm. a good job because like that is i think probably the iconic shot of curse of the black pearl is when he like steps into the light and he's like you're yeah. england yeah did you yeah, was, get was used good? to <laughs> get used to fairy tales because you're in one miss tarner doing a great job that was it, yeah um both two two in- <laughs> Two astounding impressions. But those don't look the same. Even though they're the same, I said, I guess, like, concept, which is, like, kind of skin, ghostly mm-hmm. skin over skeleton. But they are very yeah. different. So I'm so good, good for that. Well, and also, what's also funny, though, is that, like, when you watch Curse of the Black Pearl, the skeleton pirates is, like, one of the main visual effects that you will be watching through the whole movie. The army of the dead in yeah, Return of the King. Yeah, five minutes in and out, baby. We, they're like, <laughs> we got other fish to fry. We got Gollum. We got Sauron. We got all these Nazgul. We have 5,000 horses that we need to make CGI. Like, we don't, we don't have time for this. Yeah, so the King Walk up to Aragorn and is like bold of you to come here like no no one can move us to action like we're gonna kill you and Legolas goes to he Fire fires an arrow. an arrow and I'm like good so job Legolas stupid. come you on really- dude <laughs> You really did a lot there. And the king says something like, only one sword can awaken us. 
Aragorn swooshes it out and it stops the ghost king's sword and it like clashes. The ghost king says something like, the blade was broken. Yeah. And then Aragorn says, it has been remade. In his weird little nasally voice. Oh, it's funny you say that because I wrote down the opposite. I wrote, it has been remade. Ooh, sexy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. Oh, you know what? We'll get, I think we'll get on the same page re-Faramir. I think he's got very oh, yeah. kind oh, eyes and a big nose, which is very friendly looking. I love those <sighs> things. Faramir. Okay, um, good. My heart. No, we're going to align again, I think. So we get <laughs> we get um, a bit of a cliffhanger on this part of the story because Aragorn's like, so will you fight? And then we cut away and we're like, ooh, wonder what's going to happen there. We go back to Minas Tirith, which we haven't seen in a while. Inexplicably, I don't understand how, Faramir's horse was able to like sneak around this army that has been approaching Minas Tirith. Yeah, and he makes it all the way back <laughs> to Minas Tirith. Don't, I don't, there are I don't a lot get of it. hero horses in mm-hmm. The Lord of the Rings. This mm-hmm. being one of those heroes. Yeah, and he doesn't even get a name. I oh. know. But there's That's a shot of him being dragged in, which is, I think, a little hot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So something about that scene, actually, they uh, they were afraid because there there was an incident. I don't know if this incident happened before or after filming for this scene, but there was one incident where David Wenham, the actor who plays Faramir, his horse like all of a sudden started running off, and like I don't know if it like spooked or whatever, and no one had taught him like how to like steer it oh, or no. stop it. <laughs> And like eventually he, I don't know, I think some like someone had to like ride over and like grab him and, and stop it. So when they were filming this scene where he's getting dragged by the horse, they made this system in case the horse started running off and he's like still attached to it, like being oh my dragged. God. Um, they made this system where he held the the like handle for this release in his hand and like hit it from like the camera angle or whatever. And he could have pulled it and it would have released him from the stirrup if it had like run off or whatever. Luckily they didn't have to do that. Well that's smart. Yeah. Just had to I don't know. Just like once again I like hearing these stories of like this was actually they got an actual horse they got the actual actor they put him in the stirrup and they filmed this scene and they made this like safety release system just in case you know as a backup so yeah. i mean that's why things still look so good is just that you're like mm-hmm. that's a real horse and a real man mm-hmm. and that's yeah. like okay cool and a real a real man he is oh my son <laughs> good okay where are we i knew we'd come back on the same page oh god fair me so like here's the thing yes will i always forever be in love with aragorn of course but like when it comes down to it faramir is my boy he- he's got those pretty long lashes He's kind of the best of all possible ideations of man. <laughs> I refer all the time to those sad Faramir eyes yes. because they'll just kill you, just punch me in the head. Just that, but that's what uh, they, that's uh, why it's such a good performance is that he's like really tuned into the like just like kind of looking up through his lashes ponderously, and you're like, ooh, uh, what are you thinking? What's going on in that friendly little brain of yours? Uh, Faramir's not looking too good. He comes dragged in. He has like a bunch of arrows sticking out of him and he gets pulled up to like the top layer of Minas Tirith. Everyone comes running out and Denethor is like, my son is dead. My line is ended. Oh no. And yeah, (laughs) I said, I wrote down, I wrote down two things in this moment. One is that as much as it's crazy, I think that performance is 
like a phenomenal Shakespearean. Who, Denethor? Yes. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. He's he's so good. It is so good. But when he's like, when he looks up at the camera and he's like, Theoden's betrayed me. I love that. I would pay major money to see this guy play King Lear. Mm-hmm. Before that moment is probably the only part of the movie that I like actively dislike and think was a mistake, which is when they shoot the heads over the wall. So, okay, yes. I'm glad you you bring this up. So this does happen in the book. So the army is outside. This is all kind of, it'll show the army outside the walls doing stuff and then it cuts back and they're like, he's actually alive. Denethor is freaking out and then it cuts back yeah, to the army. We get that genuinely iconic line of fear the city is rank with it. That was my impression. I love that line. Beautiful. Uh, but then they're like, let's send over some of their friends to yeah, remind he them. Said, they're like, we're going to, oh, let's comfort them. They say, he says, release the prisoners. Yes. And they catapult the heads of the army that had just lost and died at Osgiliath. And it's like, my dislike of it has less to do with like anything that has to do with logic, plot, whatever. I genuinely think like reading it in the book makes perfect sense. It feels to me so tonally different than any of the other violence in the rest of the movie franchise. I don't know why. I get that. It like feels like it feels like pulled from a different movie to me. I do get that. I think it so I think when this happens in the book, it's more the implication of like Sauron's forces are using literally anything they can to fight us and they will stop at no cost. Yeah, and it's like a really I mean like obviously very scary intimidation method. Yeah, it's also like a very horrible, cruel war tactic, mental torture kind of a thing. But then like we then like later we're going to cut to orcs who are like that's my piece of bread. And they're like, no, it's my piece of bread. Do you know what I mean? It like feels, <laughs> they they don't feel the same to me in in a way, in a weird way. <laughs> I think, I don't know. I kind of, I got the impression that like we're really upping the ante here. We're in, like the stakes are, are raising. And it certainly raises the stakes. We're going to like launch the heads of like the brothers and sons and friends at these people trying to defend their city. It's pretty messed uh, just up. Just as like one last. And so what's what's crazy, and I'll have to insert the audio here, when I was watching this the first time, I forgot that this happened in the book. I forgot this happened! Oh no! something with like it's like they're very bloody and their faces are like contorted into a permanent position of agony and it just kind of feels a little game of thronesy uh it is game of thronesy yeah Mm -hmm. in a way that like nothing else in the movie particularly feels that way so i don't like it i like it in the sense of it's very dramatic and to me it kind of shows hey we're stepping it up the last time we had a big battle with orcs and stuff they brought a bunch of ladders and they brought a they brought a bomb yes we'll be bringing heads yes <laughs> and like this time we're not like we're not messing around we're here to mentally and physically scar you we're gonna mess you up yeah. speaking yeah. of mess getting messed up Denethor goes crazy so first of all we have pippin come over and say he's still alive faramir is alive he just needs medicine my lord we need medicine my lord meanwhile denethor is like my sons are spent my line has ended the house of stewards has failed and pippin's like he just 
Just like, if you want to listen to me for like one second. He's not dead. Yeah, Denethor is totally losing it. And again, this is something where in the book we find out later, he goes so insane because he has been looking into the Palantir and using right. the Palantir. And we never get that information. And we in don't the movie. get that. Yeah, we but don't get that. Weirdly here, enough, so. as much as I like, like that information, I don't care that we don't have it in the movie because I just buy that this man is losing it because obviously, sorry, we missed one part, which is that he, in his insanity, like goes and looks over the edge of Minas Tirith and sees these yeah. armies approaching. And he's like, that's it's, kind of like adding on top of his and it's insanity like so, too. It's, he, he's like, oh, we're going to lose. And he's scared. And I think that there's like this, I think you're supposed to kind of have the question of like, does he even care? That Faramir might still be alive. Wouldn't he? Ra- would he rather just like ritualistically kill himself and his son in a blaze of glory than like than like? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I think it's okay that we don't have the answer because I think his performance sort of justifies this like egocentric man. Because the last we saw Denethor and Faramir together, Denethor was like, "I don't care if you die." You know, he he basically tells Faramir like, "I would rather you die than come back alive." Right, but then wouldn't a person who's an egomaniac be like, "I am the most generous." person in the world because I gave my son and myself like the the a Vikings funeral and not have to die at the si- the blade of an orc. And so but that's what I don't know. I I I wish that we had that explanation in here because to me it makes it makes him make a lot more sense of like that's why he's going insane because Sauron has been like feeding him these lies and he is just not in a mental capacity to handle this idea that his last son is dying and I don't know it just seemed like I for like non-book readers it, I wondered if they were like wait I don't get it why is he so upset about his son dying if the last he saw him he didn't care if he died I I would be interested to know if people who have no experience of the book like still resonate with that part but I think they do because I just watched it with two people who hadn't and they all thought it was very like one person was convinced he knew he was alive the entire time and just like didn't care and was like I'm not gonna die in a battle I'm gonna go mm-hmm. and I'm gonna kill myself with my son I, was I like, believe hmm, that. that's an interesting read on it and I like I believe I, I see that in his performance too even if like maybe that's not my preferred reading of it I'm like I can see that. Like, this performance justifies that interpretation of it. So, okay. So, this whole scene, there were just a lot of things going through my head during this one thing. So, first of all, please, for the love of God, teach some people in this in this world, in Middle-earth, how to check a pulse. No one's ever done it. <laughs> they never do it. And then also, we have from Brother Bear. This year, I lost my dear husband, Edgar. We're telling everyone I'm dead. Sometimes, I can still hear his voice. And that's that's fair of me right now. <laughs> Just quit telling everyone I'm dead. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so Denethor runs over to the edge, looks over, he sees all of the army is literally right there. He can deny no longer that this is something that has is coming to Minas Tirith. It's like that's what happens, Denethor, when you do nothing. Don't do anything at all. Yeah. Um and he freaks out and is like yeah, he says, Theoden's betrayed me. Everyone abandon, like, abandon your posts, flee for your lives. We're all going to die. Everyone and starts just doing that, which I think erupting is... Erupting into chaos. I, this is my favorite transition of any human behavior in the movie. Yeah. Because they, he's like, abandon your post. And they're like, they're running. Then Gandalf beats the Shire out of him with his staff. And then he goes... Smacks him on the head. And he goes, don't do that. And everyone says... Okay. Okay. And they yeah. listen to him without question. That's what I thought was so funny. Yeah. I love it. They're like, this guy, I think he's making sense. I really like the way that I like this guy's vibe. And I like I like mm. what he's brought to the table and I will be listening to him. Gandalf literally 
tries to smack some sense into Denethor. I appreciate so much <laughs> that Gandalf is just like, everyone fight. Defend Minas Tirith. And they're all like, okay. Okay. 100% you're I will do doing, that. You're a much better leader than Denethor I was. love that. Because they listened to Denethor. And then the minute he was out of, like, unconscious, they were like, thank you. Because you also, I like, mm-hmm. I like your whole thing. <laughs> yeah, this, like, battle sequence, the Battle of Pelennor Fields begins officially, I, I guess. Um, the catapults start launching stuff everywhere and the archers in Minas Tirith are dumb because these towers they're pushing all these towers close up and they're firing their arrows like at the towers and Gandalf has to be like not the towers shoot the trolls yeah I I wrote down his exact quote which is aim for the trolls kill the trolls and then I wrote excellent guidance for 2020 from Gandalf (laughs) I think he's right but yeah they're not great well two things about Minas Tirith one is I don't understand it geographically the second one is I do like, though, that it wasn't built necessarily to be like um, Helm's Deep, which is like, this mm. is a sit like, this is made for fighting. This is sort of like, oh, shoot, I didn't realize we had a door there. <laughs> it's just supposed to be aesthetically pleasing. It's and just supposed to look cool. It does look cool and also scary. They need to install guardrails. Um, guardrails. Also, like, can you imagine if you were walking somewhere and you were like carrying all your groceries home and you like went the wrong way and you walked into like that part where there's like a big stone bisecting the city and you're like oh I gotta go back the other way like (laughs) I would really not like living there I'd be very frustrated also it's all on a slope because it's like one giant spiral basically I think that just goes up and up and up yeah I think if you're on the top floor and you drop your like can of coke you've got like a long (laughs) way to go to like when you um like if you are at the back of a movie theater and you spill a bunch of skittles and just like you just hear it all go it's like (laughs) I think that's the problem with Minas Tirith I don't know why I wrote run Pippin but I did write that yeah Gandalf pulls out the full name and goes like Peregrine Took he goes this is no place for a hobbit I know I love when he pulls out his full name until him to to go off and hide because also Gandalf at this point like in the movie is starting to care a lot more for Pippin as like an actual person as opposed to like just being annoyed by him I know I love it I love that he has like genuinely become humanized to him but just like he is seeing him as like a person with a brain mm. in his head and like a worthy not just like a child and not like a person who's just there to mess around um and yeah. i love that because i do think that that is like what you are as, as an audience also supposed to feel about him then he's like they called us out to fight which is so cute yeah i oh, love it so much Pippin. he's so yeah he's like they called us to fight i'm here to fight and he see he looks so scared he freezes up when all of these orcs start like coming out like actually onto the city and he totally freezes up and gandalf kind of has to save him and, and fight a bunch until he swooshes his sword out and kills an orc and gandalf and pippin are both kind of like shocked and they're like yeah he gets like the killing blow in which i think is great and he even like looks at the sword like oh my god i did that he's like i killed something i love that and then gandalf gives him like a very proud smile as if he like brought home a blue ribbon instead of killed an orc he says um guard of the citadel indeed I love it. It's so cute. And I do think, again, it's like a very, the like Pippin and Merry storylines have fun parallels with each other. Even though they're living two very different experiences, they are having similar moments of like 
stepping up to the plate and being surprised by their own bravery and strength and also like the concept of a battle is too big for them to imagine but if they can yeah. just if they can just protect the person they love and care about then they'll get through yeah. and so it's like Pippin's mm-hmm. like totally overwhelmed and then the Nazgul flies in and it's scary but he's like oh I have to save Gandalf Gandalf is my friend bang actually I wanted to bring that up specifically when the Nazgul start flying in the operatic music that comes in with them is so good it's so good and they are so scary to this day i'm like ugh, they're scary oh yeah i guess i yeah i guess i should mention that like in the midst of the battle you they are like screeching and screaming and literally everyone is like grabbing their ears and they're they're in pain and like you see the strength that the Nazgul have grown to since we last saw them in battle I guess you know like they're they're a lot stronger um a lot more formidable than when we last saw them the next shot after this is a bunch of orcs and trolls chanting grand grand Grand, which we don't know what Grand is yet, but we're excited to find out. And just as like a fun little tidbit, that's where the first DVD of the extended edition ends. If you have like the DVDs that were like made in the 2000s. So literally the movie ends, the movie, the segment ends with them being like, Grand, 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 fade to black. Cut. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we were shocked at their editing choice to end the first disc at Grand because it really makes Grand sound a lot more important than it's going to turn out to be. It's very formidable, sort of. So a couple things about like Minas Tirith and, and battle sequences. So first, the Minas Tirith set was built on the same site as Helm's Deep after they had finished shooting Helm's Deep stuff. Um, and they reused and altered a lot of pieces of the Helm's Deep set to build Minas Tirith, which makes sense to me when you have like one massive set for one movie and you're done with that. It's like, what are you going to do with this thing? Yeah, exactly. So the battle scenes, which reportedly contain over 200,000 digital participants, were so huge that an extra room had to be built onto the Weta Digital Effects facility to house all of the computer equipment needed to render those scenes. I mean, that makes sense. Is that insane or what? Yeah, Yeah. that's absolutely wild. Totally crazy. So we go to see Frodo and, oh, I almost said Frodo and Sam. Nope, Sam is not. hmm, not I wrote first Frodo of the segment. Missed that guy. That's what I wrote here. Yeah, Yeah, it's been a while since we've seen. Yeah, we haven't checked in on them in a while since they broke up. Mm -hmm. It's been a while. Um, And they are entering Shelob's lair and Gollum is like, we have to go this way. It's either this or turn around. And Frodo's like, okay, I guess I'll go forward. Yeah. As, again, I'm like going to be a freak about it, but I really actually like the dialogue because he's like, go in or go back. And he goes, I can't go back. And I just like feel for him so deeply. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like, I don't want to say that like, okay, I'll go in. But I can't but go I, back. I can't go back. I know. Is, I feel like it's good writing say. there because it is. there is a difference between like. Okay, I'll go in. Yeah. And, and like they yeah. really do a good job of not trying to be like, see, he's so brave. He's not he's brave. Not. He's, he's just afraid. he's just gonna do it, and that's what makes he him... screams this entire scene. It's he just a bunch of him do a lot screaming, of screaming and and ah, kind of things. <laughs> uh, again, another passive dialogue that I'm obsessed with. What's that smell? Orcs is coming here sometimes. Oh, okay, fair enough. No, fur- no further questions, Your Honor. That's very... exactly enough information for me. <laughs> it's very spooky, scary. I'm like, come on, Frodo, use the light of Galadriel. 
now, you dumbass. I mean, he just, he needs like five more minutes. And it's a whole like labyrinth of like caves and spiders. Of course, like technically we don't know exactly what yet, but it's spider webs and it's all gross and sticky and Gollum is slowly like sneaking away from him and Frodo keeps calling out for him and he keeps getting lost and turned around and he like looks down on the ground and sees all these skeletons of like dead creatures and people. It's very spooky scary. And literally right as I was thinking like hmm I bet you're really regretting yelling at Sam. That's exactly when Frodo go. he goes Sam. Yeah and then immediately he starts crying. He's like Oh, it's so sad. I made a mistake. Because I like, I like, again, I think it's like good filmmaking that like he yells like Smeagol and then no answer, but like his voice is echoed back to him. And so it's like, mm-hmm. oh no, you're so alone. And as you're being like, oh my God, he's so alone. He's being like, oh my God, I'm so alone. And then he's like, Sam, it's very sad. Mm-hmm. But he still keeps going, which again, I think is great. I like, I was calling this the Frodo alone segment. I can't think of a lot of other times in the movie where he's like truly alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here it is. Yeah. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm very, I am honored that this somehow fell into my lap, despite that not being your intention, because I love Frodo so very much. And I like any moment where we are allowed to be with our like so-called protagonist in a moment that like when they're normally bolstered by other people, they're t- totally alone again. Um, I don't think we've seen him alone since like the beginning of the movie. I was going to say, yeah, probably the last time we saw because I don't think, yeah, uh, he's alone when he's, like, reading his book at the start right. of Fellowship of the Ring. And then, like, there's a moment where he, like, is alone for a bit. And then Galadriel's like, stop, you're awake. Let me show you what's going on in an alternate future where you don't succeed. All your mm. friends died. That's, like, those are, like, some of the lo- only parts I can think of. Where and then he- he's very briefly alone when he gets to Mount Doom before Sam walks in. Correct. And is like, destroy it. And then he's like, mm. Yeah, but like this is definitely the longest segment that it's like just him on his own. And so Mm -hmm. I I like that. I like that as like a He doesn't do very well alone. No, no, he doesn't do very well. (laughs) He really needs he needs his he needs his Sam. And so we show Sam stumbling to (laughs) which like (laughs) I'm I'm laughing. I don't mean to be laughing, but (laughs) Sam is like he's like crying as he's walking down the stairs. It's so going down the stairs. I'm trying to like explain a situation. I think maybe a good example is like when I I would miss the bus in elementary school and my mom would make me walk to school and I would just be like crying as you walk to school. Yeah. Just like, oh, just like it, so It definitely upset. has like woman crying on the subway vibes, which I'm allowed to say as a woman who's often cried on the, cried subway, on the subway. I like feel that. Yeah. He, he falls and very conveniently lands right next to the lame bus spread and i'm like that's so convenient it is convenient it's like even still partially in the packaging and he gets this wave of anger first of all grab the lame bus you need it take it put it in your pack he like grabs well, a he fistful grab of it, it and like crumbles it but he kills it yeah <laughs> and i'm like <laughs> oh sam like you need that like put it back in your backpack he's too mad he's not thinking his yeah like an- anger has like resurged and his energy is renewed again he's like i guess like very equivalent to like a mother a mama bear <laughs> yeah <laughs> being like my cub is in danger let me go protect him i love that 
and, and then he makes his around. way right back up the stairs, mm-hmm. which my elevator is broken in my building and I walked up my stairs this morning and even that was enough to ruin my day. So oh, it's exhausting. I really can't imagine <laughs> how he's feeling in the moment. The like, most tired I've ever been in my life is moving into and out of my apartment that was on the third floor of a building that had no elevator. That'll so. do it. We moved out of one that was a five floor walk up and I afterwards puked. <laughs> it's terrible. Truthfully, ter- I don't think I would have made it to terrible. Mordor, which is again why I think we're a little too hard on Frodo sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I would 100. Um, uh, previous episode we joked about this idea of like in the apocalypse, are you team die or team try? Oh, I don't think I get a choice. I think I'm. I think I'm die without any of my consent. It's like, do you? Because I think a lot of people, and I tweeted this as a poll: Are you team die or team try? And there are a lot. Uh, the uh, more popular answer was team try. And I was like, I think a lot of you have romanticized this idea of an apocalypse. I think a bunch of you think that you're just going to somehow turn into a ranger. Yeah. Like Aragorn. I'm fully aware of my like physical limitations no, I will on, die. on my body. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So Sam turns around to go help his buddy. A plus music for Sheila's Lair. So I wrote down. good. I wrote that down too. I, I only know this because I watch the um, behind the scenes uh, stuff when I have a migraine, which is awesome often nowadays uh so i know that howard shore was like going for a bernard herman like uh hitchcockian score i was gonna say yeah that was um peter jackson told him to score it as if he was writing for the fly which is great and it really is exactly that it's and so good. very scary i love yeah, it yeah it's very frantic and vi- it's very spidery it's so perfect You think you've seen the scariest part, and then genuinely the scariest part is when it keeps the, going. the legs start moving on the wall, and you didn't realize they were legs, and you like get oh, a sense of how going. big it is. Oh, I hate it. Oh, oh, I hate it. I'm arachnophobic. Are you in any way like a spider? Like I hate spiders. I don't love spiders. I wouldn't say spiders are like a phobia of mine. I can. So when I watched Return of the King, I was with one of my friends. She legitimately left her apartment during this <gasps> scene. She was like. I'm going to go walk the dog. You have fun. I'll be back in five minutes. I'm like, I'm not quite there, but I'm probably like five clicks south of that. Like I'm nearly there. I really hate spiders. I hate the way they move. I hate... I think they have too many eyes and too many legs, and I'm suspicious of why they need all of them. Mm. Um, I don't like it. And so I really don't like her. So Frodo, I don't know. At some point, he stops to, like, take out the light of Galadriel as he remembered it finally because he gets, like, the Galadriel voiceover and is like, the light of Elendil to give you light when you're in darkest shadows or whatever the line is. What is it? Is um, it like when all other lights go out? Maybe that's it. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Um, And so he's like, oh, thank God. And it lights up just enough for you to see something in the background moving a little bit. Absolutely horrific. That is the reveal of Sheila, which I thought about it. I guess you don't you don't like learn about her or I don't even think you know what her name is in the movie because I don't think anyone says it. Oh, is that true? I think at one point, one of the orcs who come after and find Frodo Maybe. are like, ooh, Sheila right. likes mm-hmm. to suck them dry. Don't put that in. That was... <laughs> Do you remember when I said earlier, I'm not going to say anything likes vile? Likes suck the blood out of everyone. I can't yeah. believe mm-hmm. I said something vile by mistake, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. But yes, I think we get her name like once. Oh, she's mm-hmm. so horrible. But we didn't have to see her in this segment. So thank you. So the model of Sheila was based on a New Zealand funnel web spider, which I think is so accurate because like, 
everyone jokes about like the animals and creatures in Australia and I guess by extension like yeah. New Zealand too of it's being the same like otherworldly monsters. They are. I mean, if you're going to base this giant monstrous spider off of something, do it on real life spiders from yeah. New Zealand. They're like, all scary already. Yeah. And the Weta visual effects team also felt really challenged about making Shelob because of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, which had come out the year beforehand, and that had Aragog in it. And the effect of Aragog was so successful that they're yes. like, well, we can't make a crappy spider. That's so interesting. It's it's so interesting because Harry Potter totally took Air- Aragog just is Shelob. Jake, but, yeah, but J.K. The, Rowling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the movie came out first, even though Tolkien was like, got that. 60 years before that. Mm, yeah. Also, I don't know if... I, I I feel like Aragog was also an a- actual animatronic. Oh, maybe that's why it looks so good. I might have made that up. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. But like, maybe that's why it looks so good. And so I just like the Weta team being like, oh my God, their special effects spider is so good. How do they do that? And it's like, it was a robot. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That, we're really good at making robots. We're really that's good at happened. making robots. And we uh, all think... We as our human brains think robots look more real than CGI. Mm. It's also just so I'm just so impressed when when people make like animatronics for 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 movies and like they it actually like looks realistic and it it because it holds up a lot better when you do. It oh, that yeah. Way. And then we don't even really get major Shelob action. We get some like hand to hand combat action immediately after, which um. I always forget how much that stresses me out. Like whenever we're like, we're like straight up hand to hand, like grappling, I'm always like, oh God, I'm stressed. Oh God, I'm stressed. So before that, there is this one part where Frodo gets caught. He gets caught in a web and he is like frantically cutting himself out. And you can see Shelob behind, like coming from behind, approaching him. And that is what it gave me so much anxiety because he's literally stuck. He can't get out. He's trying to cut himself away. Way. you have Gollum singing something creepy he's like little fly gonna yeah. die he sings a creepy song that doesn't rhyme and that makes he, me angry. he like purposefully doesn't rhyme it Ugh, that's how you know he's evil because he, he didn't complete rhyme the rhyme yeah it's like mm-hmm. oh you're killing he me purposefully <laughs> didn't rhyme it yeah um oh it's just so creepy so creepy um also uh a plus scenic design i wrote down Phenomenal. of like setting this scene of all of these webs all of these like bones and caves and the darkness and just very good frodo gets out and chases after Gollum, and they start fighting and frodo is finally ready to cut it yes I am proud of him. It stresses me out so much when it's just like two little dudes grappling. Cause like there's so much like like sword violence and arrow violence that like suddenly when it's just like a person like with their hands on your throat, you're like, oh no. But Frodo, he does a good job and I'm proud of him in this moment. It's also very violent. Like they're really knocking each other, like their like heads keep getting like knocked into rocks, and I'm like, you should have been knocked out there. But yes, okay. It's scary. And then also afraid of like what happens at the end where I'm like, I'm like, get away from the edge. Get away from the edge. Ooh, like, scary. Yeah. Very anxiety inducing. I will say again, I love Frodo so much. He is easily my favorite character in Lord of the Rings. But I think beyond that is probably one of my favorite characters of all time. I think I am in the minority on this. I think most people are sort of like, yeah, yeah, he's like in the story, but like whatever. And I do not feel that way. Part of what I like about this scene so much is... 
after they've been fighting for a while and Gollum's like, please don't kill me, please don't kill me. He, he says, tries to, he like goes, he goes to trick Frodo again and is like, it's not me. The ring did this to me. He says the I'm precious like, made us do it. Are you right. really going to fall for this because, again? But here's the thing. As an outsider, you're like, kill him. Don't be stupid. But then you're like, okay, for him to understand that and believe it, that forces us to imagine the dark stuff that has gone through Frodo's head that we have oh, no idea true. is like going mm-hmm. through his mind. And so like, he is a very internal hero, like his acts of bravery and like mm-hmm. the things that make him special are not that he was like, I'm so fast. I'm the fastest one. But like when you hear him being like, I have to destroy this ring for the both of us. You're like, oh, those thoughts went through your head too. Like, I can't imagine the stuff that you have that you have wanted to act upon or were, were, were being told actively to do hundreds and thousands of times over the like 13 months that it took to destroy the ring. But you didn't do any of them. That proves to me that he is like a true hero in the story. And I get sort of like testy when people are like, no, Frodo doesn't do anything. Things happen to him, but like he doesn't have any agency. And it's like, no, he has all the agency. He's the only reason that everyone's not dead right now. Mm, he is like constantly having to make the active decision to like remain himself. Right. And like in the beginning of the movie, besides I think that being a very cool storytelling choice to be like, I know you've been worrying for a year in between these two movies coming out about what's been happening to your good friend Frodo's and Sam. Anyway, here's two hobbits you've never met before. <laughs> it's like very bold storytelling. But then you're like, okay, fine, it's Smeagol. And how fast does he kill his friend? Seven minutes? Yeah. So you're like, oh my god, Frodo's been traveling with Sam for 10 months, and he, like, might be a little testy sometimes. He's only wanted to sort of kill him a couple times. Exactly. And, like, like, it was only, like, one time that it got serious. And, like, most of the time he's just, like, hangry, which I am always in my apartment. So (laughs) I want to extend a little sympathy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, Frodo Frodo says, I have to destroy it for the both of us. And Gollum is like, that's the last straw and goes to attack him one more time. And Frodo kicks him over the edge. And I'm like, oh, yes. Rest in peace, Gollum. I'm sure he won't come back. Yeah, there's simply no way. No way. He's dead for sure. Frodo's really struggling. He's like, how am I ever going to keep going? Convenient Galadriel deus ex machina comes in. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, Frodo, this task has been appointed. Tells him what we we heard her say in Fellowship of the Ring. This task has been appointed to you. If you can't do it, humanity's (laughs) f***ed. Yeah. And then he stands back up again, which I... I stands love. back up and and you see this like look of determination in his eyes and he keeps going. Yeah. And and that is the end of this segment of Return of the King. I can't believe it. I will say I was watching it and you know what I did right after I was done watching the segment? You kept going. Finished the movie. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I mean, I come that. on. I, I'm only an hour left. And I did. So it was that's great. A very, that's a very common response. The problem is that when I am watching and covering Return of the King as often as I am, if I did that every time. Oh, you'd not have a life. <laughs> yeah. You'd Which simply do so nothing else. Which is so funny to think about because originally like my plan for covering the movies was I would watch the section that I was covering and then I would also and like take notes on that and I would also watch the full movie and it got to a point where I was like I can't watch Fellowship of the Ring three times in one week no simply not 
Even I, I can't could do not that. do that. Before we we uh, move into closing this episode, I need to give this week's is Vigo Mortensen actually a ranger fact? Like full disclaimer that I'm getting to a point now where I'm losing track of the facts that I have shared before. So I might have shared this one already, but who knows? It's always still fun to hear about Vigo Mortensen being a real life ranger. He did his own stunts for the movie. He also insisted on using the real steel sword instead of a significantly lighter aluminum or rubber sword that were um, manufactured to be safer for shooting battle sequences and stunts. Was his reasoning that it just like won't look as real because you won't have the weight? Probably, yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't know the exact reasoning, but I believe it that he would be like, no, I have to do the real thing. Otherwise, it's not going to be realistic. Yeah. He'll be yeah. like, well, if they can't see how hard I'm working, they won't believe it. And it's like, well, I also don't believe in trolls, but thank you, Vigo. Yeah, yeah. And that concludes this week's segment of Is Vigo Mortensen Actually a Ranger? I think he is. He is <laughs> he Team Trump. He is Team Try. I have, oh, 100%. Oh, Vigo Mortensen, but 100%. If we have an apocalypse and we like come out of the apocalypse again and we have to like rebuild society. He will be king. He would be our king. He, he will be our president. He will rise as our king. And I won't be there to see it because I will have absolutely died. Oh, yeah. I will have died. Uh-huh. 100%. 100%. <laughs> cool. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Allie, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. Where can people find you on the internet and do you have anything to plug? You can find me on Twitter at Miss Alice Nutting, that's spelled M-S-A-L-I-C-E-N-U-T-T-I-N-G. My name isn't Alice. It's a reference to a really minor character in the musical The Mystery of Edwin Drood. When I made Twitter 10 years ago, I didn't know (gasps) it was going to be like a major part of our social lives. Um, And it's too late now because that's my username. Basically anywhere you'd ever need to find me in any sort of social way. Um, I have been sharing a lot of stuff about the Lord of the Rings because it's quarantine (laughs) and I'm bored. Um, I don't really, I really don't have that much to plug because it's the pandemic and as an actor I am doing absolutely nothing. Um, But if you ever wanted to see stuff that I used to do. Um, I used to be part of a really great sketch team at UCB called House of Birds, and uh, a ton of our stuff is on YouTube, so if you search House of Birds UCB, you will find a plethora of really good sketches, and I'm proud of them, and I hope someday live theater persists. I know. One day. And also, this this episode, at the time that we're recording, this episode will come out like three weeks from now, so who knows what's happened yeah, from there. I know. Maybe I... we'll have a miracle drug that comes I might out. sound like I don't a super-duper like pessimist Debbie Downer in three weeks. I'll be like, what was that girl? on about oh just hang it hang in there everyone remember the shadow is but a passing thing oh i love that i know oh um i definitely don't cry every time that scene from two towers comes it's up. so no, good no, okay one thing that all. i do love about frodo and about the writing of the book is oh. when when uh gandalf says his very famous speech that is in like a uh, fellowship of just being like oh you know when when these hard things <sighs> fall on people everybody wishes that they didn't happen to them but they persevere mm-hmm. and then he's like does that make you feel better frodo and he's like not no. really <laughs> yeah yeah frodo yeah frodo said he's like um i wish the ring had never come to me again i was like yes so do all who live to see such times but we have to go on anyway and he's <laughs> like, like does that help and he's like no Thanks. i still have there's, it there's I'm a moment sad. there's a moment similar kind of similarly to that um in the i think it was the previous section for return of the king the like 
army and guards and Minas Tirith are like, will Rohan come? And Gandalf says, courage is the best defense we have now. Yeah. And they're like, but (laughs) you didn't answer our question, sir. (laughs) Are they coming? And he's like, we'll just simply have to see how we how we fare. (laughs) Just be brave. That's what I'm talking about as a proud member of WB&E. You can learn more about the network by going to WB&E.org, where you will find all of our shows like Late to the Party. This is an urgent message. If you or a loved one have been suffering from mild hallucinations, encountering what looked like a a horde of zombies, lack of fine motor function, there was no parking, and I pulled up on the lawn and broke a sprinkler head. The inability to sit for long periods of time. Did you just break the chair? Jordan is holding a chair arm up. Roll to sit. Oh, did not do so good. Trouble using your... Tools. Are you going to take another smashy smash? I sure am. 13 probably doesn't hit. Does not hit. Sorry about the dice, Scott. <laughs> or existential crises. And I'm playing Sunny Days, a high elf cleric, a half elf cleric, a quarter elf cleric, a mostly human cleric, a mostly human, but with a smidgen of elf cleric. You may be entitled to podcasts. Ask your doctor about Late to the Party, a Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition actual play podcast for the whole family. Available every other Monday on WBNE.org or wherever podcasts are sold. The cover art is by Graphite, a.k.a. Vaishon Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at graphite.vmb. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at TolkienAboutPod, and you can also join the Facebook group that is linked in the description. You can find me on Twitter at MCWhatsUp and Instagram at MCTurnDownForWhat. You can support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash TolkienAboutPod and becoming a patron. This week's sponsor is Taylor. Taylor, thank you so much for being a sponsor of the podcast, and also please forgive me. I think I got your name out of rotation for the sponsor list. And I think it's been a while since I have properly thanked you. So now that I've said thank you, I think five times in the last two sentences. Thank you. Next week, we are, of course, still doing Return of the King. Wouldn't have it any other way. We will pick up where we left off at one hour, 46 minutes and 31 seconds and go to two hours, 18 minutes and 13 seconds. It will pick up with the Siege of Gondor and end after the Siege of Gondor when Merry and Pippin are reunited on the battlefield and it definitely doesn't uh, stab me in the heart at all. And finally, as always, if you like what you're listening to, please rate and review. I would appreciate that so much because it means that more people can find my podcast and when they do find it, they'll be like, wow, look at all these glowing reviews. This sounds like a great fun time and then they start listening. This week, I have a review from Shmoo Wally. Yeah, I'm gonna go with that. They say, super fun and entertaining show that makes me laugh. Great for Lord of the Rings fans, old and new. There are a few spoilers here and there. That's a good, yes, that is a good warning to heed. It's nice to see a fresh new take on some of my favorite books and movies while also being hilarious. Great job, Mary Clive. Thank you so much for those kind words. Oh, all right, Allie, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, Do you have any you. parting words for the audience? Respect Frodo please. Respect Frodo. Or I will find you. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what I'm talking about. Mm